Welcome to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Well, hey guys, Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of you out here who don't know me, um, but my name is Jensen. Uh, I've been on staff with Veritas for almost two years now. Um, Yeah, that's right, two years. And um, I have a husband named Sam. I have a dog named Oliver. He's really cute. Like he's, I don't have a picture. I failed. I'm so sorry, but follow my Instagram. He's really cute. Um, and I've recently learned that I'm a type six. It's a thing with the Enneagram. I'm sure that there are a lot of you in here who have no idea what the Enneagram is. I feel you. I really was you. I'm not sure if I'm into it yet. But I know that there are others of you in this room who like eat, breathe, sleep the Enneagram. You think it's awesome. And so I just need some grace from you as I try to explain it to those of us who don't actually care quite as much about the Enneagram. Uh, But as far as I can tell, the Enneagram is basically a glorified personality test. Uh, It kind of helps you better understand yourself, your basic fears, your basic needs, the things that drive you. And it categorizes you into a number one through nine. So I'm a six. And there's a lot of good things about type sixes, but what I really need you to know tonight is that sixes are known for being fearful, worried, and anxious. And so whenever I read about the six, I was like, so much makes sense. This is my life. I am security cautious. I'm generally ready for anything, but I'm ready because I've worried through every single possible negative outcome that could possibly happen to me. And I've always been this way. I actually have um, a pretty early memory of something like this happening to me. I was a kid and I went to Walt Disney World with my family, you know, the happiest place on earth. And so I'm sure I had a lot of fun, but I was five. And so I don't actually remember anything except for one memory. And this one memory is of riding a ride called Splash Mountain. Is it up there? It's up there. It's fine. Oh, it's fine. Splash Mountain is basically a log flume type ride. You do a lot of twists and turns, and then there's this eventual plummet where you get splashed with a ton of water, and the ride ends. And so as a, we're really zooming through these. That's coming later, but it's fine. Uh, as a small child, I walked up to this ride. Just imagine being me. So like I'm five, and I see this. That's the picture we want. See how it kind of looks like you're going into the thorns? I legitimately thought that I was watching people plummet to their death, like into these thorns. So I start crying. I see it and I'm like freaking out and I'm like, mom, absolutely not. My parents obviously realize no one's dying, right? It's Disney World. And so they try to explain to me, there's a tunnel, like you're going under the thorns. But my five-year-old brain literally could not see past the danger that I thought that I saw. So I kept crying. And my parents being the kind and empathetic parents that they are, forced me to ride this ride against my will, even though I knew I was gonna die. And so I get on the ride, I'm anxious the entire time, and as I'm going down the final hill, I see the thorns, I'm ready for death, and the picture that you saw 
is what was taken of me and my family as we went down. You can't really see the other picture, but we love this story so much that when we went back to Walt Disney World, we recreated the picture. Um, but if you go to the next slide, you can really see the terror on my face. Like this is, I am so concerned. This is the face of a type six that has no control over the negative outcome that's about to come. Obviously, love this memory. Yeah, that's me. Pretty terrifying. Um, but it was actually a real anxiety-inducing moment for me. It's one of the earliest memories that I have of feeling anxious, and it was so impactful in my life that it came up whenever I went to counseling um, for my anxiety, because it's a moment where I really felt like I had no control over what was coming for me. And that's generally my rule of thumb for whenever I become anxious. It has to do with something is coming and I really can't control it. I can't fix the situation. I hear people telling me that I shouldn't be anxious. My husband loves to do this. Don't worry, it's gonna turn out fine, it's great. But that really just makes me frustrated. I either get mad because I'm like, why don't you see that this is a terrible situation and people are dying? Or I start to feel isolated because I think that I'm the only one that's anxious or I'm the only person that feels this way. And I know that we're not all sixes. I get that. That's like the point of the Enneagram. But I don't think that sixes are the only people in the world that struggle with anxiety. In 2017, hashtag this is what anxiety feels like started trending on Twitter as thousands of people shared their experiences of daily anxiety. In 2016, 62% of college students reported feeling overwhelming anxiety in the past year. One article online that I found says that we're at a place in our culture where there really isn't a stopping point where we can say, I've done enough. There's always something more that we could be doing. The pressure that we feel to perform, it's relentless. And honestly, it's getting worse. This isn't just an out there problem though. We feel it in here too, right? Like when you're 18, you come to college and you have to pick a major in the classes and the things that you're gonna learn so that you can graduate and maybe someday get a job and not get fired so that you can pay your rent and you can feed yourself and then maybe hopefully you can support a family someday. And speaking of families, you want one of those, but someone somewhere told you that college is the only place that you can ever find the person that you're supposed to be with. And so, you really want a future family, but now you're not just trying to pass your classes and survive and get through finals so you can have a job and support your family. You're also trying to find a human that you can make a family with, but dating is actually really hard. Like, what if you say the wrong thing? What if it gets really awkward? Or what if you say no to a date that you should have said yes to because that was the only person that you're ever gonna find love with? And so now the only family that you're ever gonna have is the family that you have right now. But that actually makes you more anxious because your family, it's kind of a mess right now. And you know what's coming up? Holiday season. So you're going home and you know what's gonna happen? Aunt Karen's gonna corner you. And she's gonna ask you questions about your future. And she's just gonna wonder, hey, why are you dating anyone? Or why are you dating the person that you are dating? And you know what's gonna happen? Your parents are gonna wonder why you're studying education because they don't think that you can actually make a living off of that. And they're gonna fight about it and they're gonna bring it up every five seconds. You're gonna come back to classes and you're just gonna try to study a little harder harder so you can pass finals, not fail, and fall in love before Christmas so you have some good news to tell Aunt Karen. <laughs> right, like that's just overwhelming anxiety about our future. What about the day-to-day -day things that you guys feel, right? 
You have a paper to write. You have organizations to run, presentations to prepare, church to attend, five books to read, meals to prep, laundry to do, friends to hang out with, families to call and check in on, professors to email, tests to study for, small groups to go to, exercises to do if you're into that, and Disney literally just released every single movie they've ever made, and so you have to watch it to stay relevant. <laughs> guys, that's stressful. I'm sorry. You guys are probably, I'm anxious. It's fine. You have so much to be involved in. I don't envy you. You have so much that you have to take care of. You have to accomplish things and be passionate about things. So much is calling for our attention, our time, our affection, our money, and it's noisy. It's distracting. Obviously, by the laughter, this isn't a question of if we're anxious, but where we experience our anxiety. What are you anxious about right now? What gives you the deep gut anxiety when you think about having to face it? What problems make your mind race trying to just figure out a solution? What keeps you up late at night and wakes you up early in the morning? I want you guys to think about what you're anxious about. Maybe I named it before, maybe it's something totally different. But when you feel that anxiety, what do you do about it? Where do you turn when you feel anxiety coming? Well, in 2014, Amazon kept track of a lot of the different phrases that we've highlighted in our books, and they kept track of the most highlighted verse in the Bible. And it wasn't like John 3.16 or one of the other ones that is super popular. It was actually from Philippians. It was Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul says here, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're anxious. And so it makes sense that we want to know what the Bible has to say about anxiety. Obviously, this verse has been impactful for a lot of people, but I also think that this verse has been really hard for people to really understand. When I first read this verse, I was actually pretty frustrated. I heard, do not be anxious about anything, and thought, cool, yeah, super helpful. I'm going to get on that. I'm just going to not be anxious. Except now, I'm actually anxious about the fact that I'm anxious. Is Paul saying that the goal of the Christian life is to become completely anxiety-free? And the rest of this verse, it, it doesn't actually get much better for me. Is Paul saying that in order to become completely anxiety-free, I just need to pray harder, just need to be a little bit more thankful, and then my anxiety will just vanish? I'm frustrated with this verse because what I think Paul is saying here, it doesn't fit with my lived experience. I pray for relief, and I'm still anxious. My responsibilities, they didn't vanish, and now I actually have a lot less time to get my responsibilities done. What I hear Paul saying here, it doesn't map with my reality. And at the end of the day, if we think that Paul is telling us just to pray harder so that we can be free from anxiety forever, then we're gonna start to question ourselves. We're gonna wanna hide our anxiety and struggle on in silence. We're gonna ask questions like, is it really that simple? 
Am I just not praying hard enough? Is there something wrong with me? Is God disappointed in me? Or maybe for you, this verse actually makes you question God. Can God really be all-knowing if he doesn't understand the human experience of anxiety? What if God just didn't understand mental health as much as we do now? Like, can I really trust him? These are painful questions, they're hard, but I think that they actually stem from a misunderstanding of what these verses really say about anxiety. If we hear these verses and think that the Bible tells us that good Christians need to pray harder so that anxiety will disappear from their lives, then hear me say, the Bible never said that. And I just wanna take a second really quick to say that I can't possibly hope to touch on everything that the Bible does say about anxiety, especially clinical anxiety. For those of you that do struggle with clinical anxiety, I know that there are physical things going on in your life that make your personal struggle with anxiety harder than others in this room. While I do think that you can still benefit from what Paul says, I wanna be really clear that things like medication and counseling have been incredibly impactful in my life, and I know that they are really good and often necessary things to help you in your struggle against anxiety. Tonight, though, I wanna talk about what Paul is calling to us in the midst of that fight, in the midst of our fight against anxiety, no matter how we experience it. So what is Paul saying? What is he really saying? Because he is saying something about anxiety here. Remember, I think that we might have misunderstood this verse. And I think we made our fundamental mistake whenever we highlighted Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's a mistake that we make a lot when we come to the Bible. We forget about context. We read, we apply, and we forget that the Bible is written as a full story. In this specific case, we miss the verse that comes right before. Philippians 4, 5b. The Lord is at hand. It's just five words, super easy to miss. But these five words we overlook, they change everything about what Paul is saying. The Lord is at hand. Okay, this means that the creator of the universe, he didn't just hover over our anxiety-filled lives. He didn't stay out of the mess. He stepped into it. He took on a physical body in the person of Jesus, and he inhabited and, ex and experienced this anxiety-filled world just like us. He came with a purpose. And the first thing that Jesus said when he started his public ministry tells us his purpose. Mark 1.15, we read it earlier. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So not only has Jesus, the God of the universe, come down to his people, but he's brought his kingdom with him. He's inviting us to repent, to believe in the gospel and to follow him. Jesus spent his time on earth inviting people out of their current way of living and into a new way of living. This was a way to live that offered freedom from sin, freedom from brokenness, not because we did anything to deserve it, but because Jesus laid down his life to suffer for our brokenness. He's inviting us to turn from our old lives and live for his kingdom. This is the gospel. 
The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Paul reminds us of this reality before he ever talks about anxiety. He does this because he knows that when we forget about this reality, we slip back into our old way of living. Our minds, they drift from building God's kingdom to building our own. Think back to where your anxiety stems from. What do you worry about most? What are you most afraid of? The things that you're working to accomplish, who are they for? You know, if I'm honest with myself, I find a theme in my answers. You know, I'm worried about me. I'm afraid of things that could harm me or hurt my reputation. And honestly, I'm working to accomplish things for my own comfort, my own desires, and my own identity. I'm anxious about all the different things that could directly affect my own little kingdom. Are you like me? Are you focusing on building your own kingdom? Is it working out for you? As it turns out, we live in a world that offers us a lot of choices on how to build our lives, our little kingdoms. If you need a college degree, you guys are here, but if you were to need another one, there's 5,300 schools in the United States alone to choose from. You ended up here, congrats. If you need a career, like maybe you're not sure exactly what you wanna do, I literally found a list that has 12,000 career options for you to skim through. Just light reading. If you guys need a relationship, well, it really, it turns out there's 7.53 billion people in the world and 1,500 dating apps and websites to help you find the perfect one. With all the options, building our kingdoms, building our lives should be pretty easy, right? Except it isn't because of something called the paradox of choice. We used to think that having more choices would make us happier, but research has actually shown that we become more anxious about decisions and less satisfied with our choices the more options that we have. And because of this, our kingdoms rarely meet our expectations. We could have always done something more or chosen something better. We ask questions like, would I be happier with someone else? Maybe if I had gone to a different college, I'd have more friends. Maybe if I had chosen a different career, I'd just be a little bit more satisfied in my daily life. We're never satisfied. We're always anxious. If our main goal is to build up our own kingdom, well, our anxiety over those daily choices is going to control our next steps. But in the midst of that anxiety, don't forget the Lord is at hand. Jesus, he's extending us an invitation. There's another kingdom out there. This is a kingdom that invites us to live in the freedom of Christ. Freedom from performance, freedom from the opinion of others, freedom from failure, freedom from the chains of anxiety because Jesus has already died for you. He's adopted you into his family. He's given you value and dignity as daughters and sons of the living God. And he has created you for a future glory that is far greater than anything you could ever get from focusing on building your own kingdom. 
your anxiety doesn't disqualify you from this gift. Jesus knew that you would be anxious and he still died for you. He's standing here and he's offering you an invitation into life in the midst of your anxiety. Are you aware of this invitation? Or when your anxiety hits, does it drive you further into your own kingdom? Do you double down, do a little more, sleep less, work a little harder? Do you hide from the things that you're afraid of? Isolating in shame, protecting yourself from the failures that can make your kingdom a little less worthy. Right now, your anxiety, it might be pushing you further into your own kingdom. If this is you, hear me when I say your anxiety does not disqualify you. It's actually inviting you out from under the pressures of your own kingdom. Jesus, he sees your anxiety over your kingdom and he's saying to you, I've made a better way. He's inviting you to make a choice, to take the next steps towards reorienting your heart to desire his kingdom more than your own. Your anxiety does not disqualify you. It's an invitation to recognize that the Lord is at hand. If we believe this truth, what comes next? Like what does it actually look like to turn from my own kingdom and take steps towards this new way of living? How do we practically actually do this? Well, Paul tells us, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I didn't forget, these are the verses that frustrated us earlier. Prayer didn't really feel like a good enough answer to the weight of our anxiety. But do we really know what Paul is calling us to here? What really is prayer? Well, to start, prayer is not a quick fix to anything, especially not our anxiety. I think sometimes when we hear people say, just pray about it, we believe that someone's telling us that Prayer is this quick fix that if we just turned to it, we'd figure out a way to fix our anxiety. When we see it this way, we're treating God as kind of a vending machine for answers in hard times. We'll go to him when we need something, but we're pretty disappointed when we ask for a Snickers and we get a granola bar, or maybe nothing comes out at all. When we do this, our prayers, they're devoid of relationship, understanding, and communication. They're just a transaction. The Bible has a really different picture of prayer. Specifically here, Paul tells us that prayer is to be done with supplication and with thanksgiving. See, the word supplication, it means to ask or beg for something earnestly or humbly. And thanksgiving means acknowledgement or celebration of divine goodness. When we pray with supplication and thanksgiving, it changes everything because it changes the reason behind why we're praying. So first, if prayer is to be done with supplication, then we can start off by acknowledging that it's good and right for us to ask the Lord for things. But the asking, it isn't primarily about the thing that we want. It's about reorienting our hearts. So we beg God earnestly because we've realized that we don't actually have control. We're not God. 
When we pray with supplication, we ask for things, but we humbly know that ultimately what we really need is what God thinks is best for us. We can either pray demanding God to work for our own kingdom, or we can pray with supplication, humbly asking the Lord to bring his kingdom into our lives. Second, we're called to pray with thanksgiving. Praying with thanksgiving forces us to remember and to celebrate the goodness of our God. We thank him for the fact that his kingdom is good, that he is righteous, that he's sovereign and just and merciful. We thank him that his kingdom is where this earth will find real restoration. Pain, cruelty, injustice, and death will be no more. We thank him because he's calling us out of something, but he's calling us into something far greater. We remind our hearts of the reality of who God is and what he's inviting us into. Prayer is just far greater than an ask and receive. Why do we pray? Well, not to get a quick fix for our anxiety, we pray because it's the first step in reordering our loves. It reminds our hearts that God is God and we aren't, that his will is good, that his kingdom is what we're actually created for. Do you actually believe that God being in control of your life is ultimately what's best for you? Or do you sometimes think that you can handle life situations on your own? Do you really think that God's kingdom is a kingdom worth living in? Or are the things in your life crowding out your desire for him? Do you actually take enough time in prayer to slow down and to confess the things that you desire more than God? Or is life so busy right now that you don't even have time to stop and think about what you want? If you want to see deep heart change, if you want to desire God's kingdom more than your own, if you want to find peace in the midst of your anxiety, well, it starts with real biblical prayer. Paul tells us what happens when we pray with supplication and thanksgiving in verse seven. And God will miraculously rid the anxiety from our hearts and minds and we'll live in an anxious free life for the rest of our days. Yeah, no, no, it's actually really important here to recognize that we're not promised the actual removal of our anxiety when we pray. We're promised something else. Let's read the actual verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but this is sometimes hard for me to imagine. It really does surpass my understanding because it doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective. Paul is saying that peace doesn't come because our anxiety goes away or our circumstances change. It comes because in the midst of all of that, we know that we're building our lives on something that's secure. When we lose sight of that reality, we turn to the Lord in prayer not as a quick fix, but to reorder our loves and to remind us of who God is. 
a God who rules over creation, who is infinitely wise and good, and who sees our own lives in the midst of his greater story. This is the God that we are invited to trust. In the past 23 years, I haven't experienced God remove anxiety completely from my life. There are always seasons when something is completely out of my control and I start to hear the questions building up in my mind and fear starts to flood into my heart. But it's actually in those seasons that I have found the greatest comfort in turning to God in prayer. In those moments of fear and worry, I sat down and I reminded myself of who God is. He's made a better way. And the things that my heart fears, the things that my mind worries over, well, they don't actually have ultimate power in my life. I've never experienced complete freedom from my anxiety, but I have experienced freedom from the hold it has on my life. I am choosing to accept Jesus's invitation to believe that he is what really matters in this life. Will you accept that same invitation? This is an invitation of good news. God sees your anxiety. He knows it's there and he's inviting you to choose where you turn in the midst of it. Your anxiety does not disqualify you. Your anxiety is a reminder that you have a choice. Is your anxiety gonna continue to distract you from God? Or will it direct your steps towards him in prayer? Guys, anxiety's coming. It's already here most likely. So what are you gonna do with it? If we believe the lie that anxiety disqualifies us, we're gonna hide in shame the second that anxiety hits. We're gonna try to overcome our anxiety on our own strength and our own power and under our own control and we will never find freedom from it. We'll constantly be a people striving to get our to-do list done, to be good enough, to accomplish the next thing. There's always going to be something to be anxious about. We won't look any different than the world around us, chained down by anxiety, always busy, and never free from the stress and worry over our little kingdoms. Jesus is inviting us out of that lie and into truth. He's inviting us to believe that he's covered our brokenness and shame with his blood on the cross. He's inviting us to not let our anxiety drive us further into our kingdom, but into his. It is the only place that we will find true freedom from the fear that anxiety brings into our hearts. As the music team comes up, I want you guys to think with me for a second about what this would actually look like if we believed this. We're surrounded by people controlled by their anxiety over building their individual kingdoms. Sometimes we are them. But how incredible would it be if we were a people who actually lived in the peace offered to us by Jesus? Not by separating ourselves from the things of this world or by pretending like we don't struggle with anxiety, but living in this world, caring about our classes, our relationships, our careers, but not building our lives on those things. 
What if we were able to walk through our anxiety, clinging to Jesus, praying and calling out to him because we know that he will be faithful to his promises? What if we cared more about building Jesus's kingdom here on Mizzou's campus than we cared about building our own? I don't know exactly what would happen if we all did this, but I do know that it's the only place that we're gonna find true freedom. Without Jesus, we will struggle under the weight of anxiety, lost, ashamed, fearful, with no way out. There is not a hope in this world without Jesus. He is inviting us to repent, to believe in the gospel. The Lord is at hand. His kingdom is here. Let's be a people that step into that freedom and invite our generation to do the same. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.